day. I have my power on. We're good back there. Amen. Can y'all hear me all right? All right. So if y'all can hear me all right, y'all can repeat after me. Father God, I'm here today seeking a word from you. So open my ears that I can hear. Touch my heart so that I will feel. And renew in me a right mind that I will do. This is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, grab your Bibles real quickly. Let's go to Luke chapter 5. We're going to hang out there in Luke chapter 5. Once again, I believe that we're going to be able to stick in this uh, because there is a truly a word from God that we can take back as disciples. Amen? Amen. Listen, I want to be respectful of time. I know we don't want to limit what God is doing, but God puts a schedule in place for a reason. So Cliff, how long do I have? Okay, because I don't want you find out, and by then we'll be ready to go. Do anybody know? We got 15, 20? What? Time frame. How long do we have to talk in here? Uh-oh, come on. All right. Listen, you don't tell a preacher that. I got, I got some Baptists in my blood. I, I can go for them. I can go for them. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to set my timer for 15 minutes, and we're going to dive into this word. Listen, last night we kicked off D-Now. Uh, which what I believe was a great message uh, that got us to where we needed to be to understand that God sees value in who we are, that God, God sees us for more than we even see ourselves. God can see where we're going even when we don't realize where we're going. And the great thing that I love about the Bible is that a text doesn't just give you one perspective. It can give you multiple perspectives. You can see multiple things in it. So today we find ourselves not dealing with verses 1 and 3, but we're going to look at uh, verses 4 through 7 in Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 7, and I want to read those to you. Now, I have a bad habit in my church. I like people to stand when we read the Word of God simply because it shows respect to, to the Word of God. This is God's Word breathed through the life of men left for us so that we can live and have a roadmap. So if we can honor God and stand while I read this text, it would really bless my soul. Amen? Amen. All right, so here we are in Luke chapter 5, beginning in uh, verse 4. We know that Luke is a part of what type of gospel? Synoptic gospel. What are the other two books of the synoptic gospel? Matthew, Mark. What part of the gospel is not a book of the synoptic gospel? John, exactly. Which one of the four were not actually a disciple of Jesus? Luke. Who was Luke? He was a doctor. Who was he a doctor for? Look, don't act like y'all paying attention up in here. Come on, God. Amen. Look, Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 4. I'm going to read verse 4 through 7. I know I told them earlier for 4 and 5, but if they don't have it on the screen, don't worry. We're going to go a little further. Again, I'm reading for the New American Standard Bible. When you got it, say, I got it. Yes. Let's get it. Here's the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. And it says, when he had finished speaking, this is Jesus. He was pushed out into the boat with, with uh, Simon and his crew. He was, telling the gospel from, he was telling the gospel from the water while the people were there on the shore. So when he had finished speaking to the people, he said to Simon, put out into the deep. So he says, listen, I want to go further, deeper into the water. Put out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you said, I will do as you say and let down my nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. Verse 7, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats 
so that they began to sink. I want to lift up for a moment just a subject title, simply dealing with my doubt. Dealing with my doubt. You may be seated on today. Dealing with my doubt. Doubt is a horrible thing. When I think about doubt, I always think about superheroes. Growing up, I had a favorite superhero. It was mighty funny because just this morning and getting prepared to come today, Isaiah was getting dressed and he just happened to grab one of his favorite t-shirts that's filled with his superheroes. Uh, he has Iron Man, he has Captain America, has Spider-Man, I think he even has Incredible Hope. And I had to tell Isaiah, listen, those are all cool dudes, but you ain't got the real superhero. You don't have the real superhero on your shirt. Does anybody else have a superhero shirt on today? Anybody in the building? What, what do you have back there? I see, I see you popping. What you, I, I look at him. He, he represents Iron Man to the, Isaiah, so he's on your team. He's on your team. Listen, I grew up in an era where there were two real superheroes. One was Batman, and the other was Spider-Man. Those were the only... Look, I am so happy that y'all understand the value. And then not only was there Batman and Spider-Man, but if you really get into my age, there was Superman. Superman, that's the name not... Look at it. Represent, man. Stand up. Show everybody that S on your chest. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Superman was like the baddest of the baddest superheroes that could ever be. It was just something about somebody coming from a different world to earth to do all of these great things. And he could, he could move faster than a speeding bullet. He was stronger than a locomotive. All of these great things. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman. That was like my favorite superhero of all times. But that was an issue with Superman, man. Superman had a weakness. They called it kryptonite. Came from a special planet called Krypton. Now, we wouldn't expect kryptonite to be here on Earth, but somehow kryptonite found its way here on Earth. And so anybody that knew Superman and knew that he had a weakness, they would try to use this weakness to exploit him. As long as kryptonite wasn't present, you couldn't fool with Superman. But if you had a drop of kryptonite, I don't care if it was a rock, if it was a necklace, all you had to do was have kryptonite and Superman couldn't do anything to you. Can you imagine how it would feel to be a superhero with all of that power, but you're looking dead face at your weakness and you can't do anything because your weakness is limiting you from your success. Your weakness is keeping you from doing all the things that you were created to do. You know you have the power to keep people safe. You know you have the power to, to stop bank robbers. You have all of this power, but because of this weakness, you can't do what you're supposed to do. For a Christian, our kryptonite is doubt. For a believer, what stops us from being everything that we're supposed to be, everything that God has called us to be, is doubt. Doubt is this, this awful thing that's basically the total opposite of faith. If faith is believing, then doubt is just the opposite of believing, which is questioning yourself, questioning who God is. And it puts you in a place where a lot of things simply be go, begin to go wrong because what happens is we find out that doubt is the result of entertaining a conversation with the devil. That's how doubt comes into place. Doubt is the result of entertaining a conversation with the devil. If you don't believe me, you can find yourself back to Genesis and ask Adam and Eve 
Uh, they were perfectly fine. They were the superman and superwoman of the Garden of Eden. They had everything working out for them. But here it comes an opportunity uh, where Satan uses a serpent uh, to whisper into Eve's ear and starts to have her question why God said that she can't and Adam can't partake of this forbidden fruit, why they can't do it. And so when, when they begin to entertain a conversation with the devil, now doubt comes in. As long as they were in relationship with God, as long as they were communicating with God, they didn't have any reason to doubt because if God said it, then it could be done. If God told you to move, then all you had to do was move. If God told you to jump, all you had to do was jump. But the minute that they began to entertain a conversation with the devil, doubt crept in. The next thing you know, because of doubt, it led to sin. Doubt was the doorway to sin. Doubt was the doorway to their destruction. Today, my hope is through this message that you don't allow doubt to be the doorway to your destruction. You have the power to keep doubt away from you. You have the power to rid yourself of this kryptonite and walk by faith, not by sight, to, to center yourself on the word of God, to believe what God has asked you to do. You have the power to do all of these great things that God is asking you to do. The thing is, right now, because you're amongst believers, you feel good about yourself, you're energized, you pumped up, you saying, yes, I can do this Jesus thing, I can live right. But the thing is, when you get back to your everyday normal life and have to deal with peer pressure and problems and everything else, you will begin to doubt yourself if you entertain a conversation with the devil. See, you can't talk to God and talk to Satan at the same time. Light and darkness has no fellowship. You, you have to pick which one you're going to do. It's kind of like being on a phone call. If you're on a phone call and you're talking to your bestie, your BFF, and, and you're talking about everything that's going on and how you're having fun, and then all of a sudden your second best friend calls, you have to determine if you're going to put them on hold so you can talk to your second best friend. You have to determine if you want to put them on hold. And the thing is, you can't talk to both of them at the same time unless you join them. The thing about our God and the enemy, they don't want to hold a conversation. Their, their conversation ain't going to be about the same things. They don't want you to do the exact same thing. They are totally opposite from one another. So you have to pick which line is more important for me today. Who do I want to talk to today? And the minute that you click over, you have opened yourself to begin to doubt to doubt everything that God has said, to doubt everything that has been poured into you. When we're talking about today in Luke chapter 5, here is the disciples, the first chosen. They've already listened to God. They pushed out into the water. Jesus is talking to the people. After Jesus finishes talking to the people, he says, push out a little deeper. Now, me, I would have had a problem with that because I don't swim very well. I, I've just learned how to float. Uh, and you're asking me to go deeper into the water, we might have an issue, say, but do we have life jackets on this boat? Uh, what do you want to really take place right now? What is your plan? Because I was just hoping to take you a little further just so you can talk to some people. And Jesus tells them, and he says simply to them, push out into the deep. I was watching a video uh, yesterday, and I actually posted it on my Facebook of another pastor uh, named Darius Daniels, and he preached a message, and in his message, he says, you know what, the conversation with Jesus is a little funny, because Jesus only speaks in sentences. He doesn't speak in paragraphs, and that really blew my mind, 
that Jesus speaks in sentences, not in paragraphs. When you look in the Bible, when Jesus is having a direct conversation with, with someone, normally he does speak in, in sentences. When he gives an order, he gives you the first part of the order. He says to the disciples, push out into the deep. That, that's what he says. And then what happens next? Simon says something back to him. Now, if I was in the boat with Jesus, I would have preferred the conversation conversation go a little something like this. Uh, Christopher, push out into the deep because when you get to the deep, I'm going to ask you to drop your net and you're going to drop your net and you're going to catch a whole bunch of fish and everything is going to be okay. Then I wouldn't have never questioned him. I would have been like, you know what? It's cool. Let's go. I didn't catch nothing earlier. You think we don't catch something? Let's go out here. But if Jesus comes to me and he gives me a fraction of the story, push out into the deep, sometimes I have problems. Pastor, why are you sharing this with us? Because if Jesus is speaking to your life in sentences, you have to be prepared to follow the order when he gives it without questioning what's next. Because that's what happens to us. Jesus tells us to do something, and then we are sitting up here saying, okay, God, I'll do it, but what's next? We want to make sure that we're safe. And the craziest thing about us that we need to understand is that safety was already guaranteed when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. When he gave his life for us, safety was guaranteed. Matter of fact, we owe our life to him. That's why we live vicariously through Christ Jesus. We don't have a life. We have died because of the sinful nature that we've had. And now we are dedicating our lives to God. It's just like you had a best friend that took a bullet for you. A best friend that took a bullet for you and they died. They were the only child of that parent. And and now their parents have no kids All they have left is you. You would naturally be in debt to that family for the rest of their life. You would do whatever you could to make sure that mom got a card on Mother's Day, that somebody visited her on her birthday, made sure she got a gift. Why? Because her son gave her his life for you. We should be the same way for Jesus Christ as it relates to our Heavenly Father. Christ was his only son that gave his life for us. Who are we to question when he asks us to do something? We wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for Christ. And so Simon is in this boat, and Jesus gives this one sentence command, push out into the deep. And Simon says to himself, well, Master, um, we worked all day long, and we just got through cleaning these nets. We hadn't caught anything. And most of us would have stopped right there. We would have stopped right there, and we would have said, because of everything that's went on already today, uh, no, I can't go any further. But Simon is smarter than us. Simon goes and he says, but because you asked me to, I'll do it. Because you asked me to, I will do everything that you asked me to. This is the moment where Simon had the opportunity to doubt who Jesus was. If Simon would have doubted who Jesus was in this moment, Simon would have ended up like the rich young ruler. Everybody knows the story of the rich young ruler. He's only mentioned once in the Bible because of his foolish decision. He came and he asked that he could receive eternal life. He was right there in the presence of God. God spoke to him. Jesus Christ shared with him what he needed to do, how he needed to do so he can inherit eternal life. And he basically had a bad attitude about it and got scared and afraid of what life was going to be like if he did everything that God had asked him to do. And he went away from God weeping. He said no to Jesus to live the life that he had. We don't know his name. We don't know his mama name. We don't know where he came from. All we know him as the rich young ruler. But you know what he could have been? He could have been the 13th disciple. 
He had the opportunity to leave everything behind, the same command that Jesus had given to everybody else, and walk with Jesus. We could have known his name. He could have had a book in the Bible. He could have been the fourth book in the Synoptic Gospel. But because of the fact he said no, he doubted, he was afraid, he lost everything. Today we have to learn how to deal with our doubt. Because if we don't deal with our doubt, we're going to end up being a failure. As it relates to our faith, we will end up being a failure. Doubt is our kryptonite. Doubt is a Christian's kryptonite, and we have to find a way to get it under control. I thank God for the Bible because it not only tells us our problems, but it always gives us our answers. And in the text, we find out how do we deal with doubt? How do we deal with everything that's going on in our lives that's going to come to us, that's going to try to to flood us with information to keep us from doing everything that God asked us to do. The first thing that we find out is that we have to understand that we do not have the ability to forget why we are doing what we're doing. Don't forget why you do what you do. Never forget why you do what you do. How do we know uh, that here in the text that Simon has developed an understanding that he can't forget why he's going to do what he's about to do. Simon leads off with the one word in his response. Verse 5, the Bible says, Simon answered and said, the first thing he said was master. When he was speaking to Jesus in the boat, the first thing he said was master. He didn't, he wasn't just cordial with Jesus and say, yo, hey, Jay, what's up? No, we ain't going that way. Uh, he, he didn't come to him and saying, uh, hey, uh, Christ, man, I don't, feel, I don't feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. He said, master. What does that mean? That puts him in a position of submission right then and there from the beginning. Why do we do what we do? Because Christ is our master. He leads us and guides us and directs us. I know some of us as kids have got it bad questioning our parents, and we think that we've grown, we've smelt ourselves and everything, but you can't get away with that with God. We don't have the ability to question why God is asking us to do what we are asked to do. The quickest way to eliminate doubt in your life is to remind yourself who you belong to. This is what Simon is doing. Simon reminds himself by leading off master, he reminds himself that I am in debt. I belong to Jesus. As a result of me belonging to Jesus, being a servant for the Most High, I have no choice but to do what he's asking me to do. If you want to make sure that you eliminate the doubt within your life, the things that are stressing you, the first thing that you have to do is always remember why you're doing what you're doing. Why are you living the life that you're supposed to live? Because I'm committed to Christ. Many of us fail because we forget about Christ. When we go to school, we put Christ on the back burner. When we go to work, we put Christ on the back burner. We're so worried about what everybody else is going to say to us that we, instead of letting Christ be our master, we let our friends be our master. We let Facebook be our master. We let money be our master. We give ourselves and we submit to everything and everything and anything else except to Jesus. And that is the first thing that causes you to lead yourself down a slippery road. Why do we do that? Because we doubt that God can provide for us what we need. Why do we submit ourselves to our friends? Because they give us love. They give us acceptance. And we don't feel like Jesus Christ can give me the love and the acceptance 
that I need? Why do we let money become our masters? Because money takes care of my bills and my problems. And we don't, for some reason, think that God can take care of my bills and my problems. Think about why you submit to all of these other things, and you will quickly realize that I've allowed this to replace God. No, I haven't built this golden graven image, but I have put other things in front of me that have become my God that makes me feel important. Just even having a relationship with Facebook on a day in and day out basis where I can't live without having my Facebook if the internet drops right now. Y'all seen that commercial where they lost the internet and the dad is acting like he's typing on the keyboard. He's totally confused, totally discombobulated. Believe it or not, I remember a time where they used to send internet on CDs. They, they used to come in the mail and they would just give them away all the time. Yeah, I'm I mean, that, that's crazy. And it was like we didn't have uh, cell phones when I first started. We had pagers, and everybody couldn't even have a pager. And it was a payphone on every corner, and they used to cost 10 cents. Then they went up to a quarter, and now you can't even find them. They're extinct like the dinosaurs now. And so eventually everything that you think that you need now won't be here. The only thing that has remained at the same from the test of time is Christ. Is the word of God. That is the only thing that is guaranteed that everybody needs. But why is it the one thing that we neglect the most? You cannot forget who you're in debt to. When you allow the enemy to hold a conversation with you, he, he causes you to, to question if your master is really who he says he is. So when Simon initially speaks, he, he leads the, the, the topic off, the message off, the sentence off with the best word that he could possibly do. He instantly says, master, because he reminds himself that I'm not just talking to one of my friends. I'm talking to someone who has the power and authority over my life. The second thing that the text teaches us is not only do we not forget, we shouldn't forget, but it also says that we shouldn't focus on how long it takes. We shouldn't focus on how long it takes for us to reach our goals, how long it takes for us to reach our destiny. Why? Because it becomes a problem with us. See, we, we are humans, and we figure we only have a limited amount of time, and time is so precious that we can't waste it. And this is nothing new because Simon, he initially thought the same thing when he, when he said something to Jesus. After he said, Master, he came up with his excuse why he was not about to be ready to do what God is asking him to do. He says, what? Because what? He says, because we have been out here We've been out here all night. We've worked hard all night. And he says what? We've caught nothing. He says we worked hard all night. In other words, I've spent, I've spent at least eight hours out here trying to do things the way that I think that they should be done. And it has not worked out for me at all. And so as a result of that, what I'm electing to do is I don't think that this is the answer for me. I want you to understand something. There's things that you're going to be waiting for, that you're going to be believing God for, that you're going to be expecting God to do. But what I need you to realize is God doesn't work on your time schedule. You work on God's time schedule. You're not going to get what you want when you want just because you want it. It doesn't happen like that. I actually posted a, a post this morning that reminds me that God is never going to give you more than you can handle. 
Some of us are asking and expecting God to do some great things in our lives right now. But the thing about it is that we are not spiritually mature enough to receive whatever it is that God has for us. We have not taken the time to build a relationship enough with God to receive whatever it is that God has for us. Pastor, why are you telling us this? We're young. Uh, We're not worried about that. We're not thinking about time right now. I'm telling you this because this is disciple now. You're being discipled now. And as you push forward to being a disciple and living the life that you're asked that, that you're believing that you should be lived during that time there's going to be some things that don't go exactly how you expect them to go and these things that that don't happen in the manner or the way that you're expecting them to happen when you want them to happen how you want them to happen are things that will lead you to doubt who God is there are things that will cause you to question is God real Does God really have the authority? Does God really rule and reign in my life? Because if God really really ruled and reigned in my life, these things wouldn't happen like this. These things wouldn't go wrong on a day in and day out basis. A lot of people tell you when you sign up for Team Jesus that everything is going to be perfect. I want to tell you right now, it's not. They forget the scripture that says those who suffer with me will reign with me. It's going to be hard. There will be challenges. Listen, the devil ain't been worried about you up until this point because you ain't been a problem. But when you get some 15, 16, 14, 13-year-olds that are on fire and ready to talk about Jesus, he begins to get scared and intimidated because he knows that you have the ability to wake up some other people that have been sleeping, that have been dead, and that were on their way to their graves and burning hell. He doesn't want you to take people away from his custody. So he will use anything and everything. He will use peer pressure. He will use friends, girlfriends, boyfriends. He will use anything and everything to cause you to begin to doubt yourself and who you are and who God is and what God is asking you to do simply because of the fact if he can destroy you, then he can destroy the tens and hundreds and thousands that are connected to you. After all, a disciple's responsibility is to what? Make more disciples. We don't just become disciples just to have a title and a name. This is not being the captain of a football team or the head cheerleader. This is I am about to make a difference. Once I sign up for, once I sign up for Team Jesus, I have committed myself to make a change in this community, in my church, in this country. Amen. And he knows if you, if you sign up and you say yes and you're really serious about it, then he not only loses you, but he loses everybody that's connected to you because now your conversation has changed. Your character has changed. And you're putting yourself in a position where you can really begin to make a difference in other people's lives. There are people, believe it or not, that go to your school that don't know anything about Jesus. They don't know anything about Jesus. And believe it or not, because you don't tell them about Jesus, they don't even know you're a Christian. If you don't believe me, I can tell you a story I'm a pastor now. I have a good friend of mine named TJ. We grew up together. Uh, The dude is a millionaire. Uh, I don't know how God blessed him with a million, and I didn't get a million, but that's okay. Uh, The dude is a millionaire, and I love him to death. And I've always just assumed TJ was my best friend. You know, I went to church on Sundays. He knew I went to church on Sundays. And we hung out. And so we, we spent all our lives just being connected to each other. And one day TJ got married. I actually did his wedding. I did his marriage counseling. And his wife was like, he won't go to church. And, and I was like, well, we'll work on that. We'll, we'll, I didn't know TJ didn't go to church. And so I talked to TJ one day. He came up to my office. As a matter of fact, he's seen 
a movie. I think it was uh, Exodus. I think a movie Exodus. And he came to me and he was like, dude, is all of this stuff really true? Is this how it happened in the Bible? And that's exactly what I told him. I was like, well, uh, they took a couple of things and kind of added it. It was just kind of mixed up. Uh, it was kind of twisted. I said, if you come, I can tell you the truth. And I sat down at my desk at my church with a friend that I've known for 30 plus years. And he looked me in my face and said, man, nobody ever told me about the Bible. My mom never went to church. This is somebody I used to spend the night over their house. I used to hang out with all the time. And here he is in my face, successful, but he's still empty because he doesn't know Jesus. That was the worst moment of my life as a Christian. To know that somebody had been so close to me and that I had been so busy having fun with them and worrying about what they were going to think and how things were going to go that I missed the opportunity to tell them about Christ. And so I took that opportunity that day to talk to him about Christ. Do you know that we meet on a weekly basis, just me and him now, for our own personal Bible study? Because he's a little embarrassed to know, to, have, to be so successful and, and not know all of these things about the Bible. And so we meet on a, on a regular basis just so me and him can talk about the Bible, so that he can know what's going on, so that he can explain it to his family, so he can be the pastor of his house. Because he has a desire to know Jesus. How many people do you think that you come in contact with on a daily basis that you think know Jesus just because you know Jesus, but they really don't know Jesus? Do you realize that you are in that circle of trust simply because Jesus has picked you and placed you there so that you can be the one to tell them about Christ? Do you want to answer to God himself for saying, you know what, when he comes and says, hey, what about Thomas? Or what about, oh, I didn't think he needed to hear about it. I, I thought he already knew Jesus. He knew I went to church. Do you want to be the one that says for everybody that God has put in your presence that you were responsible for leading to Christ? Do you want to have to answer and say, you know what? Well, you know, I was on Facebook that day. I didn't think he really wanted to talk to me. To put all of these things in your way because you're worried about what somebody is going to say about you how somebody is going to feel about you. It, it, it bothers me, man, that people are standing up for all the wrong things and we can't stand up for the right things. I know the Bible tells us to love everyone and I have no problem. I love everyone. I will never discriminate on anyone. But to see a group of people that can come together and protest for gay rights and get laws changed and we won't even tell somebody about Jesus at the grocery store. To see a group of kids and, and people leave their jobs, businesses are closed uh, this previous week simply because people decided that, you know what, we're going to stand up for immigration rights. I'm technically, McDonald's, I don't think they have ever shut down. And it was McDonald's that were closed because people decided not to go to work. Students leaving classes, just standing in the parking lot, standing for what they believe is right. But we as believers in Christ won't even tell somebody about Jesus. We're worried about what the principal is going to say. We're worried about uh, what our bosses are going to say. We're worried about what our friends are going to say. You know that? That ain't nothing but conversation with the devil that has built doubt within your system. I, I, I want to tell you something, and I really want you to believe this, man. I started telling people about Jesus 
when I used to work for somebody else simply because I was just this on fire, radical believer. I, I was like wearing T-shirts all the time. Jesus loves. I know, I know Jesus. You need a hug. All of these type of T-shirts. I was, just, I was just running around. I got on fire about Christ. I was just so excited because, you know, to, to, to feel the presence of God in my life and to see the transformation, I was like, somebody else needs to feel this. Somebody else needs to experience what I'm experiencing right now. So I wanted to tell everybody about it. Do you know I never got fired from a job for telling somebody about Jesus? But you know what did end up happening? God blessed me to own my own companies. And I believe that that's because I was telling other people on other people's companies about Jesus. So he gave me a company where I can have a company and everybody can talk about Jesus. Matter of fact, me and my people, we meet for prayer every morning before we start work because he could trust me. Because I wasn't afraid about what anybody was going to say. I don't have a problem sitting down at an interview table now and telling me, hey, what's you telling somebody, hey, what's your favorite scripture? When was the last time you went to church? What church are you going to? Do you mind if I call and check with your pastor to make sure that you're active? Because I want to make sure that I, I'm being a good steward with what God has given me. But you know what that takes? It takes a boldness about who I am. It takes me to be bold about where I stand in my faith, to not doubt what God is going to do. If God gave me the company, then God is not going to allow anybody to take it away from me. This is God's ministry. This is what God is asking me to do. The same thing, the, I, the way I think is the same way you should think about your life. If God has given you the life, God is not going to let anyone take it away from you. And if someone tries to take it away from you, then I always think about what God told Abraham. When he says, I'm going to make you a great nation, God says, listen, I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you. That was enough to eliminate any fear in my life as it relates to peer pressure or what somebody was going to say about me. Because as long as I'm doing what God is asking me to do, God is going to bless me. But the minute that somebody tries to come against me, that's not my fight to worry about. God is going to curse them. I can't sit here and worry about how long things take me. I can't sit here and worry about how things have went wrong time after time because I'm not on my time. I'm on God's time. When I got, when I officially got saved, not that play play save where you just came to the altar just because mama told you to come to the altar. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You got baptized just because mama told you to get baptized. Not that play play save, but when I, I officially got saved, I was what, maybe 26, no 25 years old. I was 25 years old. When I officially, fully, really understood and gave myself to Christ. It, it wasn't that I had to get 25 to understand Christ. It was that I wasn't trying to pay attention and build a relationship before. At 25, God had finally commanded my attention. And so now I have a relationship with God. From 25 now to 35, I can say that I've been on fire for Jesus for 10 years. I've lost friends, but they were not the type of friends that I needed to keep in the first place. I've lost uh, finances. I've I lost cars, different things, but they were not the things that God had blessed me with. I had got those things from a sinful lifestyle. So now the life that I live, I don't have to look over my shoulder. I don't have to worry about anything because God has given me everything that I could possibly ever need. Everything that I have now, I can give glory and credit and honor to God because God has blessed me. Am I where I think I should be personally? No. If you would ask me, I'm supposed to be a pastor of a mega church. I should have two services, each service with 5,000 people in there. But you know what? I'm not ready for it. I'm not ready for it. If God opened the doors of my church right now and I had 5,000 people, I would probably go to a crazy house. 
Because that would be 5,000 problems I would have to deal with. And I, I don't understand it. I barely can deal with the 100 I got now. So I have to take my growth in stages. I have to take my growth in stages. One of the things that everybody should, if you don't know Stephen Furtick, uh, you should get to know him. Stephen Furtick is a great pastor. One thing Stephen Furtick taught me is he says, you know what? A lot of times we think in our walk with Christ that our growth is measured like steps. We think that before we know Jesus, we're on the bottom step. And we think as a result of us knowing Jesus that we step up. And the longer that we're in a relationship with Jesus, then we step up a little bit more. And hopefully we can, we can begin to count the steps and we can get to where we need to be. But you want to know the biggest issue uh, with our walk with Jesus? Come walk with me. With our walk with Jesus is not measured by how we walk up the steps. Our walk with Jesus is literally just a track meet. It's literally just a track meet. We're steady walking with Jesus. We're steady walking with Jesus, talking about where we're going. God is telling us what we need to change. God is telling us what we need to fix. And we're going around. We're running this race. We're running this lap. We're losing people. We're saying hi to people. We high-fiving people. We dabbing on people. We're doing all of these things. And we're showing people, listen, I've gotten better. We're seeing new faces. Things have changed and everything. And just when you get to the finish line, you think you're going to stop so you can go back to your seat. But no. You know why? Because you got to keep going. Because that was only one... <laughs> That was one lesson that we learned. That was one lesson that we learned in that one moment. One lesson that we learned in that moment. And what makes it stressful is because we keep walking around in this circle. We keep walking around in this circle and we think that we're seeing the same people. We're going through the same thing. But you know what happened? Every time that we walk around, we learn something new. And when we get to the finish line, we're not worried about sitting down right now, right? Because we know we're going to keep on walking. We know that God is about to do some crazy and serious things, but this is growth because every time we're walking around, we're just steady getting closer to where God wants us to be. Every time we're walking around, we're meeting new people. We're doing greater things because of the fact that we are being the example that what God wants us to be. And then it gets to a point where we've been walking so much and we've had a conversation with God so much that you know what? When it's time to sit down, we ain't even ready to sit down. We can walk by ourselves because of the simple fact that we've built that relationship that we know that we can keep moving. Thank you so much. We know that we can keep moving because it's not about where we get. Because when you look at growth as stepping up steps, you know the problem is? You want to get here so you can look down at somebody else. We should never want to be elevated to a position of power that bad. Discipleship is all about making that circle. Making that circle. Because you know what should happen when you make that circle? You pick up somebody new every time you go around. When you're making that circle, somebody else wants to join the race. See, when we first started, people might have looked at them funny we're walking. But by the time we made second lap, somebody in their heart was saying, can I walk with you? I want to walk too. That's the way people should look at you in your life. As you're growing spiritually with God, as, you are, as God is starting to use you and you're standing out amongst other people, other people should have a desire to want to be a part of what God is doing in your life. Other people should have the desire to say, you know what, I don't know how he's doing, what he's doing, or why he gets to do it, but I want to be a part of that as well. But if you doubt, doubt guarantees that it leads to your destruction. You won't get to be a part of that race. You won't get to be a part of everything that God is asking you to do. And so what it leads us in my last point for today is that if we doubt, the reason that we're doubting is because we're focused on fear. And the thing that we should understand is that we should not fear our past failures. 
That is not what we do as believers. We look in the text and in Luke chapter 5, he goes and he addresses him as master. So we have to remember who we're submissive to. He talks about that he's worked all night. We can't worry about how long it takes. But then he says one last thing. He uses this word and, which is a conjunction and lets us know that it's another principle. He says, and we caught nothing. It's bad enough that we worked all night. But and we caught nothing. This, this is where doubt is present in this one phase. We worked all night and we caught nothing. He, in this moment, he's remembering what has went wrong in his life. He's afraid of his future because of his past failures. That's going to be the biggest hindrance of our lives as believers is when we are afraid of the future because of our past failures. We cannot be afraid of where God has taken us. We cannot question or doubt where God wants to take us because of what we've already done or what we've already been through. We have to have a level of faith in God that is so ridiculous that we will push forward when nobody else will. I have a love for first responders. They are some of the most craziest people in the world. I don't know how God created them. They are so weird. They are the only people, police are the only people, when somebody is shooting a gun, they run to the bullets instead of running away from the bullets. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, Firemen are the only people that get excited about a fire. It's a fire. Let's go run into the fire where everybody else is trying to get away from the fire. That does not make sense to me, but they are built that way for a reason. They're built that way for a reason, and and they have this confidence that the equipment, the bulletproof vest that they have on, or the badge that they're wearing, or, or the fire suit that they're wearing is strong enough to protect them from whatever it is that they're going through. They have this confidence that, that this is covering them and that all of this is strong enough to keep them that they're going to not only go into this fight, but they're going to come out of this fight all right. They might have a little smoke on them, a little dirt on their uniform, but it doesn't bother them because the fact is that they're going to go into what? Save somebody, and as a result of it, they will be able to come out victorious of the situation. As a believer, we have that same suit. We call it the armor of God. We're able to be suited up from our head to our feet with every principle that God has left and listed in the Bible so that no matter what life has to offer us, we are able to fight and push through it. We don't have to worry about things because we have our shield of faith. We don't have to worry about certain things because we have our helmet, our shoes, we're covered. We have all of these things that we're supposed to have. We have our sword, the word of God. So why are we afraid of what people might say about us? Why are we afraid of what might happen, what people may do? If you're going to walk this walk, if you're going to run this race, if you're going to be a disciple, this is your training day. And the first part of your training is not only knowing that you have already been picked. You have been hand-chosen to represent our God. You have been hand-selected to be a representation of who God is, what God will do, and how God has already done it. You have been hand-chosen to express the love of God. But now you need to also understand that there is something that can destroy you, and it's called doubt. You need to know that because this is training, 
the areas where the enemy is going to try to whisper in your ear, the areas where the enemy are going to try to attack you the most is going to be who you're loyal to. Will you choose God or will you choose man? He's going to try to attack you and he's going to, he's going to try to get you to think about does, if God is really God, will this really take this long? And you have to remind yourself that God is not on my timeline, but I'm on God's timeline. And you have to get to the point where you understand that I have no reason to fear my future because my past has been washed away. God has purified me of everything that I've done wrong, everything that I've made a mistake, and he's given me an opportunity to live this life the right way. This is the only thing that the enemy can use against you. He has no other weapons except to try to manipulate your mind. He plays mind games. When you look in the Bible over and over, every time that he did something, it was a mind game. It was a mind game because all he had to do was get inside of their mind and have them doubt who God is because what? The body is going to do what the mind says. If you give the enemy control of your mind, you have already lost the battle. So today my hope is on this training day, as we disciple up on D now, my hope is that you take back control of your mind. Whatever it is that the enemy has whispered to you, whatever the enemy has said to you, I pray that you understand the difference between God's voice and his voice so that you can identify when the enemy is trying to destroy you by planting seeds of doubt in your destiny, by trying to interrupt you from being who God is calling you to be. We have to gain control of our doubt. Today is the day that we have to deal with it. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to share your word. We thank you for this opportunity just to know how much you love us and how much we don't have a, how much we don't have to worry about anything because of the fact that you've given us all power, all authority, and all ability. God, we're praying right now that as the seed of doubt, as our kryptonite tries to take over our lives, that, Father God, we identify it and we cast that thing away, that we push it so far away from us, God, that we are committed to living and serving and doing exactly what you've called us to do. God, we're believing that these young disciples in this room, they are the future. Father God, matter of fact, they are not just the future. They are the now. They are the what we need now to grow your kingdom, to secure our churches, Father God, to, to heal our families, to make a difference. And God, we don't have to wait for them to make a difference later. They'll laugh at you or look at you. I can promise you I won't. Uh, if you only knew half the things I've been through growing up as a kid, matter of fact, I don't mind sharing my testimony. I mean, uh, you look back over my life, I've been sexually abused, I've been, I've been beat, I, I've, been, I've been locked up in juvenile. It's just so many things. It's, it's a record of things that have happened in my life that could have deterred me from trusting God. And the reason why I tell you those things is because I want you to know whatever it is in your life right now, that you think makes you not good enough or where you can't get past it so that you can be who God is calling you to be, it's not true. It's the enemy whispering into your head, telling you, you know what, things are not going to be different. No matter if you accept Jesus, nothing is going to change. I can promise you, that's the lie. Your change, your difference can be made today. It's just your decision if you want to make it. So if we can get everyone to stand, 
I want to offer you this opportunity to come. I don't want you to stay where you are because I need you to get bold today. I need you to get bold and I need you to get to the point where, where you're so strong in your faith that you're saying, you know what, I'm not worried. I can't leave you the room to doubt who God is. And so if you're here today and you just need somebody to pray with you, I'm not asking you to be a spectacle, but I sure don't want you to be a spectator. I want you to experience the love of God. I want you to experience what God is asking you to do. So if you're here today, if you can just make your way up to the front so one of our leaders, they can take you to a side, pray with you, talk to you, so that we can actually help you. That's our job is to help you heal, to help you heal so we can get you to where we need you to be. That's our responsibility as disciples. Our seasons is, is leaving. Our seasons is leaving, and we have to make sure that we're passing the torch to the right people. And so if God is speaking to you in this moment, as every head is bowed, every eye closed, if God is speaking to you this moment, if you could just make your way out of the aisles and come up for seeking to become better, Father God, to become bolder, who are seeking to become stronger, that God, you move in them in such a way. Those who are, who are suffering from peer pressure, Father God, those who are suffering from problems of their past, whatever it is, God, we're praying that you rectify those situations right now in this place, God, so that they can leave here stronger than they came and that they can run forward and understand that you, they've been deputized as, as disciples so that they can do what you've asked them to do. Father God, you gave us authority that this this is our world, God. This world doesn't belong to the enemy, God. When you placed us here, you said in Genesis, God, that we have dominion over all things. So, God, we're accepting and we're taking back that dominion. We're taking back that power. We're taking back that authority that we will no longer submit and be surrendered and surrendered to the enemy and the ways of the world, that we will become the people that you created us and called us to be. We thank you for a second chance because that's what this is, is a second chance from our first mistake. So, God, we don't want to make the same mistakes again. We don't want to hit our head in a wall again. So God, as we push forward, we're praying that you move in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, we pray. All of God's people said, amen. amen.